Welcome back, Pinball Nerds, to part two of my chat with Mr. Ian Gamagote Harewer. Uh, we were recently just talking about P3 Multimorphic and Twitch, and something that I wanted to ask you about having to do with that uh, is you kind of made like a theme song for Buffalo Pinball, and you used the P3 to program it or something. Can I watched it, and I, I didn't know what was happening. So can you explain that to me? Yeah, so uh, one of the things, and it's actually one of the things that attracted me many years ago to the P3 as a platform, is that they do have an open development kit. Um, so you can go on their website, you can download the SDK. Mm -hmm. If you know, I'm gonna talk like programmer stuff here. No, no, do life. it for a minute. Dude, this is a pinball nerds podcast. We get a nerd out once in a while. We're nerd out of it here. So, um, you can download the SDK. Uh, they use a Unity development environment. And so anyone out there who has ideas can go ahead and start writing software, writing your own game for the P3. You know, there was a there was a fellow who released a game called Hoopin It, Hoopin it Up, I think. Mm -hmm. And he developed that game. He doesn't even own a P3. <laughs> he developed that really? game entirely just using emu like the emulator, um, wrote it and released it for free for everyone to use. Um, you know, Nick Baldridge just released Reindeer in the Ruins. But anyway, so there's a development environment. This was one, one of the things I wanted to play with. Um, and so for a while now, I've been playing around with developing my own game using the heist module. Right. Um, I'm so it's sort of like I'm just sort of feeling out the features, figuring out what I can do. And I have a bit of a, a bit of a skeleton of a game going that I work on on occasions. And when Buffalo Pinball put out their contest for reimagining the double super jackpot song i thought well i can't really sing i can't really play an instrument i'm not like playing the skateboarder here <laughs> um, but what i can do is program and so the song itself you know it it calls out shots it's like you know i need a ramp i need a scoop i need targets i can hit i'm like well i can just make those call outs happen when you hit a ramp or when you hit the scoop or when you hit targets and so i programmed various parts of the game to trigger you know, this like death metal-ish voice recording that I did myself. Um, and there was a sequence of shots I had to hit in order to play out the song in the correct sequence. And I actually had to execute it correctly. And it's, I don't know, I ended up actually doing it on the first take when I recorded it. Get out of here. It was really surprising to me. And it was actually pretty hard because like that last double super jackpot in my life shot, yeah, um, it's sort of the inner loop shot that you have to get on heist, and you only get one shot at it because of the way I set it up. You shoot the scoop, then it feeds it out of, right to that flipper, and you got to hit that shot with the upper flipper to get your just so, double super jackpot. And you know, I got it on the first try, and I don't know. That's sort of the the quick synopsis and story. I don't know if that makes sense or if that's interesting, but that's what I did. It is interesting. Um, so, I mean. What do you do in your day job? I think you, you work for Google, yes? Something like I, that? I, I do, yes. So, But it, do you have anything to do with programming? I'm a software developer. Oh, you are? Um, yes. Okay, so I mean, this is kind of in your real house or kind of a lot, right? It, it is. Um, like, programming the game logic uh, and things like that is very, uh, very clear, very obvious to me. Um, working in Unity, doing graphics, um, like there's a lot of the animations and graphics and how all of that gets represented. Um, that's all very new to me. Working in C sharp is new, but it's pretty much like 
translatable, like one language to another isn't that hard. So as someone who has been a software developer for, I don't know, well, 13 years professionally and like went to school for this, sort of have another five years of experience beyond that, it's very easy for me to get in and start developing. Um, it's more just time and, you know, I'm not the graphical art stuff, sound, music, these kinds of things are what would really hold me back from getting much further along in the game right now. That's so cool. So can we expect possibly in the future a game from you, maybe? Um, possibly. Okay. I think that if I do release what I'm working on, mm -hmm. um, I would probably release it sort of as a free thing. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I want to monetize. Mm -hmm. um, I like that the platform exists. I think getting indie developers to develop, like what I've talked mentioned quickly, Ranger in the Ruins, Baldridge's game. Yes. I think that's really cool. Um, you know, I like that he is getting the money for doing that. Um, I hope he sells lots of copies because if you own it, like there's, Pinball's weird. Mm -hmm. You know, a topper costs $600. Right. So, you can get a whole new game for $150. And I thought that was crazy. That's like 200 bucks Canadian or something. Yeah. And so that's really cool. Now, is it a super big deep game? No, it's not. It's not a Jersey Jack Pirates. It's not that full, but it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a fun, small game. It's a self-contained experience that is intriguing. You go back to it. If I had friends over, it's the kind of game I would throw dollars down on and compete against each other it's a cool game so i hope that something like this you know this is a platform for indie developers to be able to get something out there and it it's like buying like a mobile game or like a indie game on your pc except instead of it being five dollars it's 150 dollars because pinball's weird uh but so it's not super accessible but it's much more accessible than a six thousand dollar machine right so, you know Pinball finances are strange. What I found too, and this maybe might've been better for part one, but I found that I couldn't, I'm, I'm a very twitchy twitcher. I think you've called me that before. I like to jump around. So it's very hard for me, especially like on Monday nights, like last night when there's the flipping out streams on plus Buffalo pinballs on plus dead flips on uh, uh, poor man are doing their, you know, live stream on Facebook. So it's like, it's really hard for me. I, I'm like, I always think I'm missing out. I've got this, twitch fomo it's horrible but that night i don't i think even i think possibly even eric from jjp no he wasn't there was a either carl or so, another channel i love was on twitch that night and i couldn't stop watching uh you know you guys compete against each other i liked going back and forth between all the channels so my guess is because i know i used to get really discouraged when i would look at my average time on a stream at the analytics on twitch because i'd say why did the only average person only stay 5 minutes and 12 seconds and it's because you know they have something else to do or they want to check another channel or whatever but i guarantee you that night the analytics would have most likely shown and i don't know if you took you know if you looked at it but most likely you know people stayed longer because they were not just interacting with chat but they were interacting with the game for the first time right yeah, I think that that was very, like, I, um, my viewership was up at a reasonable level. And, you know, it was very clear. More people were in the Buffalo stream than in the other streams, and that's sort of what we expected in that. Right. Um, there were a bunch of people dropping into my chat room who had never really been there before. Um, my viewership kind of tanked when my machine froze up. 
um, you know, it's beta code. Yeah. And so I sat out a race and me sitting out a race basically caused everyone to clear out of my room. Um, but, but yeah, like the numbers, the interaction, all of that was up a ton. And that's why I think that what P3 has done with Twitch Connect is enable a platform for streamers to do something new. I think if you were a streamer trying to drive engagement, trying to drive bits, mm-hmm. like if you're a moderately, uh, moderately large uh, streamer, this would differentiate you. Like, Big time. It's something for people to engage with. Now, you, can you do it every week? You know, people are going to tune in for the nightly cosmic kart racing stream. But right. Like it, it's the same as when like Jack was letting people change the color of his lights. Mm-hmm. People found it cool and engaging. And the more they can get this into like the machine itself, uh, the better. Yeah. And Carl also had something with where you could change the camera. So you weren't actually interacting. Uh, you know, he had the, the Tesseract cam and the Hulk cam, right. When he was playing the old Avengers there. So I thought that was neat too, but, and I, I love Carl's channel. Don't get me wrong. I love IE pinball. Shout out to Carl. But, uh, if it was down to me being able to interact with the camera or me being able to interact with the game and the actual gameplay and the outcome of the game, it's basically like a choose your own adventure Twitch live stream. So all you pinball nerds out there who didn't tune into this one, make sure you go follow Gamma Goat on Twitch, Buffalo Pinball and P3 Multimorphic uh, because I'm sure and I, I hope, is there any plans to do one again? Um. Well, I will definitely stream more of it. I think Kevin was talking about... Uh, doing it again um mm-hmm. like last night i think on broke you and talk pinball uh you know he plans to stream some more soon so i i think we will probably set up um some other nights for for people to just sort of you know play and not make a big promotion out of it mm-hmm. but i'll definitely throw some like i'll, I'll stream it again soon I don't know Good. when I'll stream next. Well, just just people if people have followed you, they'll get a notification. So it's as simple as that. Yep. So uh, this is I had this down as a question. I kind of skipped over it, but what can you probably would know this maybe better than me, or at least have a different take on it. What can a small, we're just finishing up Twitch Timber here, which is totally something I made up that I don't think it took off at all, but I had a fun time and I, I actually purposely made myself watch a whole bunch of smaller different streamers. I didn't just go on, you know, Dead Flip or Buffalo as I usually would. I kind of try to, you know, try to find some new ones. And I think I did that. But what there's so many small to medium-sized new streamers out there, besides getting a P3 Multimorphic, what do you think really makes them successful? So I think that everyone who's watching streams wants something different. Um, I know when I'm looking around and I'm trying to find things, there's, there's a few things that, I kind of require of mm-hmm. the stream when I'm watching it. So one is I don't need Carl level graphical quality. Right. Like he runs these mirrorless cameras. They look beautiful. They're, his machines are lit up. It's really crisp, but I need a minimum bar. Like right. You need, I need 60 frames per second. If you're running at 30 frames per second, I can't really follow it. <laughs> um, and I prefer things to be lit enough so if you can you don't have to spend a ton um but there's sort of like a minimum level of image quality otherwise i think people are just going to look and they're going to be like eh, i'm going to move on to the next street <clears throat> so that's the first thing but for me what's critical is i need the person to be talking 
Mm. I need them to be engaged. And this can be the hardest thing as a streamer. I will, and you've probably experienced this too. It's like, I will be playing the game. I'll look at the count and there'll be like two people. Yeah. And no one's chatting. And I have to get myself to continue to speak as if I have an audience, as if there are people listening to me. Um, you know, I carry on a conversation. I talk about what I am doing. I talk about strategy. I talk about various things, but fill that dead air. Um, now, I lose that sequence of being able to continue to talk when I go into multiball and things like that. Mm -hmm. Others like Jack Danger are very good at continuing the engagement even while playing in a complex multiball, but he does it every day. Um, you know, so for me, that is critical. Pay attention to chat, engage with chat. You know, I prefer it when people actually read the chat right um like hey pinball nerds podcast asked uh what are your thoughts on twitch connect um because that way me as a viewer if i'm not actually reading the chat at the time mm -hmm. i get what they're saying ah uh, so even if you're off doing the dishes or laundry say, hey sorry i talked over you there no 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 don't apologize that's what we do here um yeah so i was saying like you know instead of if you typed that question and as a streamer, I just respond back, I think it's great. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And because of the time sequence difference between when the viewer sees it and when you see the chat, it can get all out of order. Yeah, uh, that definitely happens. What I was always shocked by, like, I love watching Escher Lefkoff play. I love watching Raymond Davidson play. But I was shocked whenever their lives, their Twitch channels were on. Uh, Escher's is Steve-O Pub, by the way, and you guys should all go follow him and watch. And I believe Raymond Davidson's is just Ray Day Pinball, I think. Um, but if not, people can Google it. They can find these things out. Um, but I was always shocked that sometimes there would only be like 12 people watching Escher and there would be like, you know, 30 or 40 people maybe watching, a, a you know, someone who's not nearly as good of a player, but maybe they had a couple people there and then they have, it seems to me like a lot of channels now will have almost one person engaging with the chat while the other person plays and they switch off a lot. That seems to help. Um, but there's a lot of these small little middle-sized channels that, you know, here you have one of the top players on the planet blowing up Jurassic Park or Hot Wheels or something. And yet, you know, I'm one of the 10 people in there watching. Now, Escher is such an incredible player and he gets so mentally focused. I think sometimes, especially during like a, a multi-ball or something, he's not like checking chat, obviously. But I still think that he interacts and, and especially, you know, Raymond Davidson interacts uh with me every time i've talked to him on there so i'm always shocked that those people don't get more and i think well what is it because it's you can't just be a really really good pinballer and expect people to come watch you you definitely need that human interaction now there's something that we've, we've been waiting to talk about a little bit here uh oh first of all I got a message there. I should have had Facebook closed, but I got a message and Glenn, the skateboarder says, make sure you say hello to Ian for me. So hello. Um, hey. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. Um, but something big that happened in the last little while was that deep root came out. And I think, did, did they, did they come out? well, uh, there was some failure to launch, but Something happened that wasn't there before, and I truly believe because I probably put Steve Bowden on a big pedestal that I, you know, and, and I spent two years going, don't message him, don't ask him to be on the show, he's not going to tell you anything, don't, you know, if you are going to message him, don't make it about Deep Root, and I spent two, the better part of two years doing that ever since he was with them, and 
I never, ever, ever like, I, I just thought in Steve, I believe. And whenever they come out with it, whenever they officially launch, doesn't matter if it's the first, second, third, fourth try, whenever they officially launch, whatever they have is going to blow us away because this dude knows pinball so well. I guess what I negated to think about is you've got this, it, a pinball company is not just one person. So you can't just rely. You could have one incredible person working at your pinball company. It doesn't mean it's going to do well. But I would like to start by, if possible, uh, you telling me what you like so far about what you've seen from Deep Root. So what do I like? Um, the pin bar, I think, is a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I will compare it to Multimorphic. Um, Multimorphic has the screen. It has the information you need to see between your flippers down at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And that is really helpful and really good. People don't have to look up. Um, so is it amazingly innovative? You know, Highway had their screen in the play field. Um, I think the pin bar itself is a useful way to display information. And it sounds like they have really interesting ideas about how to use it. I think having a touch screen there adds new capabilities. It adds the ability to do a bunch of stuff. I think that's minor relative mm -hmm. to the screen itself, but it's kind of required that if you're going to put a screen there, you have to let people touch it. It's going to be the intuition. It's going to be what they want to do. Um, so I'm excited about that. The the sort of industrial design aspects of it, mm -hmm. like which is sort of very J-poppy and how he does things and thinks about stuff, you know, I don't care. I play pinball. I will say that back box. I'm on the group of people who like the back box. Okay, good. You know, the the floating art deco fish tank. I think it looks cool. Now I don't like the fact I don't love the fact that you can see through the raised part because I play like if I think about playing somewhere like Pinburg. Right. Um Peekaboo. people walk behind me. <laughs> yeah. And being able to see through and have people walk behind me, um, like walk behind the machine, I that's gonna bother me. But uh, I do I like how that looks. Um, you know, I have a fireball, as you know, a Bally mm -hmm. 72. It has the same feature for the glass on how you lift it. Does it really? It can be that game, but that's a feature that came out in 1968. It's not super innovative, but I like it. Um, yeah. Do you like the art? Because like the artwork is probably one of my favorite parts, and some of the shots look pretty interesting. So Raza itself, so a lot of people dislike Raza. Mm -hmm. They're like, what is this Retro Atomic Zombie Adventure Land theme? I love the theme of Retro Atomic Zombie Adventure Land. When I heard that, I'm like, wow, this is an amazing theme. This like really speaks to me. The art is kind of, the art's good, mm -hmm. but it's kind of weird. When you look at the playfield art and the back glass art and the cabinet art and the animations, they don't all really blend together. Zombie Yeti did a bunch of the original art on the playfield mm -hmm. um, or Zidware, and it feels like they've done their animations inspired by the playfield art. Right. But the characters look different on the playfield in the back class, and that bothers me. So um, it's not exactly cohesive. Yeah, that's sort of how I feel about it. All right. Now, you probably listened to a couple of my shows where I got probably more wound up than I needed to. Do you think it would be advantageous the next time there's a new release, or let's say in this case, a failure to launch or something very disappointing, would it be advantageous maybe for me to wait a couple days till I've cooled down until I record? So I don't know. Like 
you gave Robert a hard time, and Robert deserves a hard time. Um, like, I think that Deeper's an interesting situation because Robert has done everything that annoys me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to do business with this company. You know, I have no desire to see them succeed from Roger, from Robert's like boisterous, egotistical, like bashing other companies. Right. That all turned me off. It makes me not want to do anything as a customer. Um, if it wasn't for the other people there, people like Steve Bowden and David Thiel and John Norris mm -hmm. and Barry Ausler, like if I forget about Robert, I'm like, wow, I'm excited about this company. I want this company to succeed. I want to see what they can do. They've got interesting, exciting ideas. And then Robert talks. Yeah. And it changes my attitude. And I can't, I can't get myself to root for Deep Root when he has consistently for the last three years just bothered me so much. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's really hard. Like, I've said for years I've kind of wanted a Goonies, not as much as I want, like, a po we both love Pokemon. I think if there was a Pokemon or a Pokemon Go game, I, I would almost certainly have to get it, even if it was J-Pop and Deep Root and it was 15 grand, or Harry Potter, um, or a new Back to the Future. Goonies is kind of in that, like, I I really would like it, but I, I mean, it almost have to be a Keith Elwin game for me to say for sure. I would attempt to get it. Uh, of course, I still want to get my Jurassic Park Pro. That will be probably after I get to try to play Avengers, only because I don't want to have FOMO when I'm spending this much money and I don't purchase machines often. But <sighs> I guess I want to, I'm going to leave, I'm going to try to put Deep Root on the back burner. I believe Ian and Drew were talking about this a little bit last night. They were saying, I, I believe it was them saying that, can we all just like not talk about them for a while? So I think I'm just going to attempt to drop it uh, because like five shows is enough for me. And just why am I even getting this personally invested? Of course, I don't have any money in there. I got into pinball way too late to even really know who J-pop is. Like I missed that whole Zidware thing. I wasn't around on pin side to read about that. I mean, of course I've heard about it now. Um, I like Tales of the Arabian Nights, but I always thought it was a little, like people were spending too much on it. It was a little overrated. Um, you know, I, I, I think he's a good pinball designer. I don't know if he's a good businessman per se, but what, moving forward, just kind of, if we're going to put to bed Deep Root, um, what advice do you have, not so much for the company, but just for all the other pinball nerds out there listening should we just like, should we just stop being armchair warriors and stop, you know, going, I don't know if you've noticed the, the pin side thread for it, Scott, like it's just on fire. Um, should we all just give them a break until we hear again? And hopefully as long as in the future, Robert isn't as, you know, boisterous. Can we, is there still a chance for the pinball, the average pinball nerd out there to give them a fair shot or is it too late? Has there been too many, was it three strikes in the route or do they still have a chance? I, you know, I, I think uh, I think I was Tim Lee on the Parman's Pinball fan page said mm -hmm. like uh, pinball people have really short memories. Um, you know, when they put out a great game, it's not going to matter what happened before. People continue to go back and support um, people who have had questionable actions in the past because they want the thing, they want the object, and they care less about the people. So I think they can get over this if they if they release high quality games, like it's going to come down to game two. Mm -hmm. What is game two? Um, Raza will sell some, mm -hmm. but 
they need to have game two come out. Raza, no one's going to, people are going to be hesitant to move on Raza until they prove that their system's reliable, their code works, mm-hmm. um, that people can get parts. You know, what, like, what's it going to be like a month from now? Like, and so all of that, like, first pinball machine from a company is a hard sell. Right. You know, look at Always. Waz. Waz had a lot of problems. Waz was a super, super cheap game for what they put into it, mm-hmm. but it had light board problems. It had all kinds of issues. Look at America's Most Haunted. Yeah. You know, first, first game out of the gate, there's going to be issues. I want to see their second game and their third game, and then maybe I'll think about them. Well, that brings me to which themes did you like? So uh, you mo- tell everyone about the poll that you ran, by the way. That was fun. Yeah, so I decided, you know, people were really uh, harping on the themes a little bit, and I'm like, are these really that bad? Let's, let's think through them. And, you know, I love the uh, boldness of Pinball Adventures. Yes. And the fact <laughs> that they put out like 10 themes and they said we're going to make all these games in 2019 um and they've now very close to releasing punny factory but i sort yep. of thought let's put them head to head so i ran a head-to-head bracket of eight deep root themes versus eight um pinball adventures themes, love it pairing them off and threw it up on facebook to have people vote out on what the the theme to win them all was and and so progressing through very strong path on the deep root side was food truck. Yes. Um, dominating, taking out competition, going down the path all the way and coming up on the pinball adventure side, probably biased by the fact that it's my Facebook friends and we're all Canadian <laughs> was Canada a in the final food truck versus Canada a with the Canadians reigning supreme as the best theme out there. Yeah. Type medium Mounties and Beavers. Oh, Canada. Oh, sorry. We're not the pinball show. Okay. So here's what I think. I think that if pinball, if this is a big, if of course, and I think you mentioned this, if pinball adventures, you know, if, if the machines are reliable, if the game, you know, if you flip it and they seem good, I like their price point, 5,500 US. I think that's like $1,000 less than a pro for us Canadians anyways. And I like the fact it's made here in Canada. I want to support Canada. Uh, I still think that they might want to spice it up with like the odd like theme we've heard of. And the only reason Canada A1 is because you did not include the Goonies. Right? I'm right? I didn't include the who. True. That's true. So um, this is the other thing I was going to ask you about. I don't know if you've researched this at all, but there was this whole spiel on This Week in Pinball. And, you know, it, it was a really good, uh, I don't mean spiel, like it was a really good article that they did. Thank you very much, Jeff, over there at This Week in Pinball. But they were saying that the the pl- the playfields are like Canadian maple, and apparently they're like 50% more hard than the other types of maple but I don't hear about a lot of manufacturers using maple. So do you think there's any way these play fields, you know, get less dense and, and, and everything else from the ball? Or is that just talk, do you think? I, I think there's a chance it might make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the clear, the people put the clear on so thick these days that I'm not sure the wood itself matters that mm. much. Um, you know, uh, maple is a very good, very strong hardwood. Like I believe the numbers that, the pinball ventures people put out mm-hmm. you know when when they talk about baltic birch i don't really think about 
uh, Birch as being like the strongest. No, no, it's kind of funny because I'm doing research for burning wood in my wood stove and I have all these silver birches here and all these white birches and they're strong, but they're nowhere near maple. I'm thinking if you start with a harder wood, it's got to be good for like, that's a good base, right? Now we've only got a little over a minute here. I have five quick questions for you. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to finish five, but I'm going to try. Okay. Number one, will you ever sell me your prospector? No. Okay. Number two, would you ever rent it to me? No. Number three, if you were to come out here and visit me, would you ever throw it in the back of the, uh, the BMW? Definitely not. That one I figured, no, I was kind of just being tongue in cheek. Number four is, uh, will, you, will you come visit me maybe here, you know, next summer or such, if uh, things are getting better a year or so from now? Yeah, COVID clear, I will definitely come visit. Good, because I will make the same offer to you that I've made to my good buddy, Matt, and I think at least uh, Mike Dimas and maybe a couple other pinball nerds. Uh, you guys come out here. I will be the hostess with the mostest. We'll go to all the cool pinball arcades. And we will check everything out. It will be a great time. Um, last question for you. Do you have a question for Ian and Drew when they come on uh, on episode 420? Oh, I, I don't know. Okay, message me. A minute to think about that. I know. Message me. And same with all the other listeners out there. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Ian, so much for being on. I know a couple years ago I played a Flowbot song. You thought that was cool. So today we're going to leave with Mayday, if you want to say it with me. Born in the flood, Until next time, pinball nerds. To eat, sleep, and breathe. Gamma Goat Pinball!